Hello and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host, Jared, and joining me tonight, we have John and Liam. How are you going, John? I'm good. I'm good. I'm currently beaming in from snowy Threadbow in New South Wales. And that is correct. This is the this is the ski resort of Australia. Um, and there is lots of snow. Um, yeah, it's lovely here. Yeah, so, yeah, glad to be on. Glad to be here. And how are you, Liam? Well, speaking of snow, I had a rather unpleasant snorting experience this morning. I was uh, had my had my COVID test, my PCR, the old uh, wire up the nose. You know, could have at least bought my nostrils a drink first. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm here. I'm not 100 percent, boys, but we'll uh, we'll see how we go. <laughs> when are we ever 100 percent, Liam? That's the good <laughs> point. <laughs> so you'll fit right in. The um, another good thing for everyone who doesn't listen regularly. Liam's based over in Japan, so if one of the topics that we'll be talking about a bit later, he'll be our resident J-League expert, I'll be our A-League expert, and we'll talk about the Antipostacogoli rumours. But before that, we need to get straight into the shit show that is the Eddie Howe scenario that had happened and then never ended up happening. So I'll throw to you, Liam. Hmm. When you heard the news Eddie Howe wasn't going to come to Celtic, what were your first thoughts? My first thought was, oh, well, finally, because it's the way I'd suspected it was going to go for about the last three or four weeks. I thought if he was coming, he would have come like within a couple of days of the new chief exec starting, because that's a new chief exec. He wants to put his, his foot in the door. He wants to make a statement. And getting a Premier League manager on board within the, your first week is how you make that statement. So if it was at all possible it was going to happen, I think it would have happened then. Um, but the way, it's, the way it's happened with the fallout of it all, it's it's just classic Celtic, isn't it? It's just, it's always, it's always a shit show and it's always a shit show in the full view of the media. As much as I detest the Huns, the one thing they are good at is doing their business privately behind closed doors. They don't announce it until it's done. Whereas we constantly, even if we do get our man in the end, there is weeks of speculation and will he, won't he. And I think half the time that actually scares people off. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there because I've, I've seen it where the other thing you're touching on the Huns, and I don't want to be like I'm coming on their side, but the other thing that you mentioned is they also, when they go to sign a player, if they want the player, they just get the deal done quickly too. Mm. So it's... They don't muck around. And, you know, it's stock standard for Celtic with dilly-dally around, drag your heels, and then suddenly things go wrong. But, John, what was your thoughts when you heard the news? Um, Mike, well, yeah, very very much like Liam. I kind of expected this to happen, to be honest. I mean, look, me, me and Claire had the similar feeling about Eddie's commitment to coming to Celtic um, a few weeks ago. Um, but I don't. I actually don't think the blame is on Eddie Howe here. It's it's fully, it's fully at the feet of the board. Um, how they can have a gentleman's agreement in today's age, um, a handshake, and be like, yeah, 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 I'm your man. I'll come as long as you get do these things. You it, you, you needed to sign something on a bottom, you know, like um, a, a contract, you know, um, to say, look, I'll, yeah, right. Look, look, I will. I am agreeing to come to Celtic in the summer. Um, and one of my uh, strong 
you know, considerations is that you go and get these people. And then you agree, look, if we can't get these people, we get these people. If we can't get those people, we get those people. Right. But that's, that's the sort of discussions that you had three months to talk about three months. And then where's plan B, right? Because it, it seems as if we were to believe rumors that um, there wasn't a plan B and it was okay. Well, Eddie Howe's not happening. So we'll go off the recommendation of somebody else or we'll have a chat to these people. And it's kind of just, again, deeply, deeply disappointed. And, and uh, look, at the end of the day, um, it's the board's fault and they're not going anywhere. The last AGM, the board members all got voted in by shareholders plus 98% of shareholders. So they're not going anywhere. Um, and it's just, it's disgraceful to be honest. We deserve better as Celtic fans. Well, touching Absolutely. on that, touching on that there, it's, um, you made a couple of points there that I want to quickly bring up, but saying it's the board's fault, and the heads of agreement and the planning and who's the – and all that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's how any normal operating club would do it. You don't do it on a handshake, not in this this modern era. But the other thing as well that you mentioned, John, that I want to just go off on a little tangent on is who's the plan B? Now, if we roll it right back to when Lenny left, end of Feb. So what's that, three months ago? Mm. There was rumours of Rafa Benitez. And then you had – I'm just going to rattle off a bunch of random names that popped up. So you had Rafa Benitez, Enzo Maresca, Jesse Marsh. I've mentioned David Wagner a few times. You had Eddie Howe in the mix. So there was five guys there. You've had the guys on Axon mentioning Sparky Hughes. There's a whole range of different quality managers. You had Lucien Favre recently as well. Like, there's so many different people it could have been. If you – had the slightest sniff that Eddie Howe wasn't committed, why aren't these conversations going off in the background? That is what my main concern is here. Eddie Howe is entitled to not come to Glasgow if he doesn't want to come because if, he, if he's got another offer in his mind, potentially evident, or he's, say if his missus doesn't want to move or whatever, fine, I can live with that. But where's our list of seven to ten names of these are people we want to look at? Let's reach out and see who's keen. And of that 10, if you're a list of 10, you may have four that are interested. Interview them all and then go from there. You've got to make the decision earlier. For me, I'm looking at it going, your plan B that you're talking about, well, he's just signed at Palmer. And the other guy we wanted, people were talking about, Jesse Marsh, he's going over Red Bull Leipzig. So realistically, you've lost Maresca, you've lost, you never had a chance at Marsh. Eddie Howe's gone. Have they reached out to anyone else? Yeah, not. Nah. Who would know? It's disappointing, isn't it? It's yeah. it's. I mean, if, if it was if it was any other business, right? If it was regular corporate recruitment, you you wouldn't. Even if you had your absolute most ideal candidate for a CEO, CFO, whatever, head of department, you would say, look we really want you and we will do everything we can to get you now. Right. We, we will get you. We want to get you now. So we'll let you think, but we'll, we need to, we need to know a decision with within what four weeks. And then if you don't give me a decision, then the offer is rescinded and we're going to move on because that's, that's what a regular business would do. They could, other businesses don't take those types of risks, but for some reason, the people in charge of our business, right. Uh, can't fucking manage, um, a piss up in a brewery, right? So they're just 
they're just incompetent and they all need fucking outed to be honest all of them absolutely the other thing as well that we're talking about here is if they're gonna like as you're saying John you give them a time frame and this is what you do if we're gonna go down the, the route of a director of football where are they because that's something we're going to touch on as well. But the talk is back in back when Lenny left, it was like, okay, we can go two options. We can go a high-name manager or we can go a director of football with a head coach. We haven't done mm. either. We've wasted three months. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. We've done it's nothing. Like, it's like watching that hamster on a wheel just going round and round and round and round and going, yeah, that's the Celtic Football Club. What, what what time does the board think we have? What We've been screaming out for some sort of reaction for, for the past almost a year, right? We dilly-fucking-dallied when it came to moving Lennon on and saying, thanks very much, you're still a club legend, but it didn't work out this time. Thank, you know, all the best and everything. We, we never fucking did that. We took too long doing that. We fucked the league. We fucked the 10, right? And then we spent three months doing nothing, getting all of these things in place. If, if whoever it is as a director of football doesn't want to come in, then get somebody else who's just as good. Where, where's the, any sort of contingency planning? Where's, where's, you know, being proactive and figuring it out? It's, they're just incompetent in my opinion. They, they, I just don't think they're right for the position. That's it, exactly. In any other line of work, the people managing this club would have been would have been sacked by now yep. for gr- gross negligence. Agreed. And I know, I, I know it's um, a slightly longer-winded topic, but this really goes down to the fact that we, as Celtic, I think all the fans feel that we shouldn't have one major shareholder what we should really be moving towards quite strongly is fan ownership, right? Because then we'll get much more of say in these types of things. Um, and I guess that's a discussion for another time. But I think the fact that we have one major shareholder who pretty much, they're the, they're the ones that decide who's on the board or not. That's the problem. We don't actually have a major shareholder. That's the thing. We've got Dermot Desmond who owns, what, 23 to 30-something percent of the club. That's it. And he's our biggest shareholder. We don't have yeah, okay. so, that, yeah. so basically what you've got is you've got Dermot Desmond and his mates on the board who make up more than half of the voting rights so they can do anything they want. So it's a group of maybe four or five people. But at the end of the day, it's not one majority shareholder and that's what shits me to tears. Like if you had one person, at least you know what you're going to do because there's one boss. If you look at Chelsea, and we hate that club, but everyone knows the boss there is Roman Abramovich. He owns the club. He makes the decisions. He sets the tempo and the plan for what the club's going to do. And then he has employees to run it. We don't have yeah. that. In, in cases like this, a cabal is actually worse than a dictatorship. Yep. Because that Chelsea's a dictatorship. Celtic's a cabal right now. And it's not working. That's because of the old adage, a committee board that's there to make a horse would end up with a camel. And that's what we've got. A fucking rotten camel. Well, there's a, hor- there's a horse's arse in there somewhere as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the for fucking joke. Camel, there you go. Terrible. Yeah. So I'm going to use this as a transition across now to the next topic. So 
we got to the Eddie Howe thing. I'll openly admit, I honestly thought he was coming in, along with probably 90% of the Celtic support, based on the media, based on all the rumours, all the in-the-no-agent WhatsApp things floating around, which are all fake, all that sort of shit, right? So you see Howe's not coming in. And then suddenly the rumours start of Ange Postacoglu coming in. And I went on the Axon podcast last night, had a chat with him about that because I wanted to give him a bit of knowledge from an Australian point of view, a guy who's a Celtic fan, who lives in the, in the same town that Ange is from and has seen him as a coach since 1996. So I wanted to give a bit of info on him there. So if you want to get that, go to the Celtic State of Mind, check out that podcast. But the key thing for me is I've had a few things really shitting me on the whole Ange Postacoglu thing that people have been talking about. And the thing is, it annoys me the most, is there's three main complaints. He's not Celtic quality is the first one. Like these people know, like like they know what the standard in the A-League and the J-League is compared Mm. to the Scottish Premiership. That's the first issue, which I touched on last night. The second issue for me is, is Ange Postacoglu really a worse manager than Eddie Howe? Or is Eddie Howe just a more famous manager? Because he's been in the English Premier League and people know his name. And the third thing that annoys me is people looking up, not doing any research and then saying, nah, he's shit because they're pissed off with the board. They're the three main things that have been happening that have been annoying me since these rumours started. So... I don't know if you guys got anything you want to add to that before we go into those three little topics, but if you do, the floor's yours. Yeah, I would just add that there's a... I think it's a social media problem, but there's this idea of not just in football, but in you see it a lot when people talk about films, people talk about actors, performers. It's like, I've never heard of him, so he must be shite. And it's just, it's a really bad way to go about things because you know I know that nobody else that well most people that are in the Celtic fan sphere probably don't know the J League anywhere near as much as I do right because they're not interested in it and that's fine but don't say oh this guy's shite because he plays because he manages in the J League it's like you know that understand what you're talking about before you talk about it you know like an example random example right I was reading an article the other day about, about about casting for a film an actor gets cast for a new film right and everybody's like oh it's going to be terrible he won't be as good as the original it's like have you seen the original and they're like uh no <laughs> mm. you know it's that same argument it's like how many Yokohama games have you watched how many World Cup games have you watched where he was the manager of the Australia team before you go around telling everybody that he's not up to the job you know? Yep, I 100% agree. And 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 to um, continue that whole, you know, who the fuck did he beat to get through to the World Cup? It's like, you know, everyone thinks that Stevie Clark's an absolutely phenomenal manager. And, you know, it, it, he's not exactly... It's the first time they've been into a major competition, right? So it's they're very comparable managers. You had... Um, this, the Aussie manager who's managed to get th- uh, Australia through to a World Cup 
for the first time in a while. And mm-hmm. Steve Clark's done the same thing with the Euros. Um, for me personally, I am very happy to admit I know absolutely fuck all about him. Um, and I will reserve real any real judgment until I watch him. I'll be healthily sceptical, but I'll definitely not be slating him because I don't know anything about him. And I think we're, I think all of Scottish football is really guilty of, especially when they say, like, comes to players. Player comes along, it's like, who the fuck is this? What 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 team from what what in what league? Nah, this guy's going to be shit. Ends up being fucking Virgil Van Dijk, and he's one of the best defenders in the world, right? Who yeah. knows what this? Who knows what this manager's like? They did that with Henrik Larsson. They did that with Lubo. They did that with Nakamura. Like, come on now. Let's yeah. be honest. And let's be honest, right? Like, it's. I think. I think actually, it's a fair thing to say. Celtic fans have been rightly spoiled. Right, we 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 were spoilt, but we earned it for a while. So we had Brendan Rodgers, who was a really big name in world football, and he absolutely had great success here and stuff. Right, and we we thought that that was now uh, a platform, a trampoline to bounce us on to fucking greater heights. And I think there's a bit of reality check that's going on now. Like, like financially, Eddie Howe might have been the right person at the right time because that it could have worked out, but it hasn't. So we're going to go back to, to managers that we can realistically get in. Um, and in that bracket, we want the very fucking best. And this dude ticks the boxes, right? So yeah, I say give him a chance. So I'll just jump in there then. And I'll quickly, you said he ticks the boxes. So I'll just go through the CV quickly then for him. So started off managing in the old Australian NSL, so National Soccer League at South Melbourne, the club he played his career at. First year, let go of a bunch of guys at the end of the season, built up the program, and then won back-to-back titles. Won the Oceania Confederation Club competition, so went to the Club World Cup and did really well over there against Vasco da Gama and Man United. Then he went to the Australian National Junior Teams, qualified for Olympics and Junior World Cups through the Oceania Confederation. His last two teams running there, things went bad because it was right when Australia transitioned into the Asian Confederation. So the qualification route was harder and we didn't qualify. He then had a massive blow up with a local journo who's a bit of a flog. Couldn't get off the back of that interview live on TV. He couldn't get a job anywhere, so he went to Greece for a season. Almost got that team promoted from the third tier in Greece to the second tier then left because of board interference in his what he was doing. From there, he's gone, came back to Australia, was coaching June kids in a park for free because he just wanted to coach. And he loved football that much. Wow. Then was doing some commentary with Fox Sports out here on the A-League, ran into a league chairman, and Brisbane Raw coach got done for drink drive on the next day and got the sack. So he went in, took over for the rest of the season at Brisbane Raw, finished it off, Cut some guys, a bunch of former soccerers as his normal processors. Recruited, brought through youth. Went on an Australian record for senior professional sport of 36 games undefeated. Went through and did that in two seasons and won two comps, back-to-back years. The first time it was ever done in the A-League's history. Then, from there, he came back, came home to Melbourne, the Melbourne Victory. Victory were going through a current situation similar to what Celtic is. 
going through the situation currently, similar to what Celtic is doing now, where old squad, people leaving, big club, big, biggest supporter base in the league, and were underachieving. Didn't win a comp. So he's come in, he's recruited, he's structured, he's cut people, let him go. Spent a year at the club out of a three-year contract then got headhunted to go to the Australian national team. Now, that team that he had at Victory won the comp the next year, and it was majority his squad with two other recruits added to it. That's it. So that's the one club he didn't win a comp with when he spent a full season with them. Went to the Australian squad right before the World Cup in 2014. Went through it, kept a couple of senior players in each position, brought through a younger squad, and we're lucky to get 20, 24, 25 fit players for an international squad before that. Played a bunch of the older guys through, brought through younger guys, developed that squad. Lost 2-1 against the Netherlands at the World Cup when Louis van Gaal was managing. Had another close loss to Chile. And basically, yeah, lost their other game. So bottom of the group, but it was a group of death. We had three of the top 10 teams in the world and, and Australia. Then he goes on to the World Cup qualifiers for the next four years, qualify, and then the FFA tried to get involved in what he was doing. So he told him to jam it and left before the World Cup. Went to Yokohama in Japan. And first year, went in. They come 12th or whatever it was. Next year, they won it. So... Liam can tell you a bit more about the J-League, how competitive it is, his budget sort of thing he had over there. So I'll throw it to you, Liam, for a bit of info mm. about what's been happening in Japan. Right. Now, the important thing to remember of the J-League, I think last season Yokohama finished eighth after winning the, the 2019 title. Now, um, it's important to remember that the J-League is very different from most European leagues in the sense that realistically there's about eight or nine teams that can win the league every year and if you're finishing amongst that top eight it means you're one of the best teams in japan you've got you've got you've, you've got yokohama you've got urawa reds you've got the two osaka teams you've got kashiwa you've got kawasaki um you you know there's a couple of others that have slipped my mind but there's but there's a good spread there of at least seven or eight teams who can comfortably challenge for the title every year um, now I've seen firsthand this this guy's team uh, now pre-season friendly so don't read too much into it but last season um, Yokohama played Man City in a sort of a pre-season event but you know when when English teams come to Japan it's a contractual obligation that they have to bring their best players. So, you know, he with that team that they played that Yokohama played against, it had Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne, you know, it had all the good players in it. Um and Man City won free one three one. But and I, you need to look up the exact quote, but um uh, Guardiola himself went on record that night as saying that we were played off the park. Said Yokohama were outstanding, and they definitely were. It was uh, it was much closer a game than three one would suggest. 
Um, I'd go so far as to say that they gave Man City a better game that night than we gave them when we drew with them in the Champions League a couple of years ago. Because um, they actually outplayed City for large parts of the game. And he's got a team there that plays good, open, attacking football. And I think that's something that Celtic fans should be looking at. You know, whether you think he is qualified or not, one, he's a guy who's won championships. Eddie Howe hasn't. He's managed at a World Cup. Eddie Howe didn't. He likes to set up a team that goes out and has a go and plays open, flair-based attacking football, regardless of the opposition. And again, I don't see Eddie Howe doing that. If if we had Eddie Howe as manager and we were playing Barcelona in the Champions League, I could see him playing 11 men behind the ball. Postacoglu, you know, we might end up getting beat 4 or 5-1, but he would go for it and he would he would give them a fright. And that's the kind of football I want to see at Celtic. And that's why I think I think he could be the man for the job. So just off the back of that then, Liam, just to confirm, mm. so still playing really aggressive, a high press. The mindset is if you if we can see three, if you score three, we'll score four. And they just press, 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 press with a high line and ball playing centre backs. Is he still playing that way over in Japan at the moment? Yes, he is. And he also has the benefit of that, generally speaking, now, again, no disrespect to the Aussie leagues here, but generally speaking, Japanese players are faster and lighter on their feet. And they're more so, technical. Yeah, so you've got a lot more wing play um, than perhaps you would have seen when he was in Australia. And a lot of um, a lot of creativity. Um, I don't know who exactly it would be, but I would hope that there's one or two players from that Yokohama team that he might bring over with him if he did come to Celtic, because we're not going to find another Nakamura, because he was one of a kind, but there's plenty of good flair players in Japan who can give us that, that dynamic number 10 that we haven't really had since Nakamura left. And, you know, that could really give us something different. And you build a team around a player like that. Well, we've been talking about it for a while now, where, you know, it should be trying to get people more Koreans, Japanese players, because they're affordable and mm. they're technically gifted and they, they're they quality players. So we've been talking about that over the last 12 months, that so that's something to look at. And it's good for marketing as well. Imagine the sponsors and stuff you bring in. You were saying about Nakamura back in the day that Celtic was everywhere. Yeah. Games were on all the time back then. Imagine if we if we bring Postacoglu in, brings in a few Japanese guys, next thing you know, boom, exposure. It's a great way to grow the, the club's brand in, in Asia as well. You know, more generally, I whether it's Postacoglu or not, I really hope we get a manager from outside the UK. Because I think just more generally, Celtic and Scottish football as a whole, we need to we need to lose this, I'd call it a fetishisation with English football. Stop mm. comparing ourselves to England. England is 10 times the size of Scotland. They have about a thousand times the financial clout. It's not, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like comparing, how can I say? It'd be like comparing bloody, I don't know, San Marino to, to Australia, you know, in terms of size, in terms of 
capacity. It's just a complete non-starter. Sorry, countries like Australia, countries like Japan, are the sort of countries that Scotland should compare themselves to. Yep. Something I said on Axon, though, last night as well, is that Scottish people, football fans, hate the way the English, the EPL people look down on Scottish football and say it's a tin pot league. Mm. And because people don't know enough about the J League and the A League, they're looking down on those leagues from Scotland. And I'm like, mm-hmm. my next question to you is, in the in the J League, if that was to merge with the SPFL right now, mm-hmm. how many of those teams do you see being competing at that level? And are there any clubs that would finish, would be a challenge for Celtic and Rangers or a top six finish? If that makes sense. Right. On their day... Yokohama Marinos, Urawa Reds, possibly Gamba Osaka would would give Celtic and Rangers a game. Ultimately, I don't think they would finish above them. I'd put them on the same level as like a Hibs or an Aberdeen. Yeah. A team that you're going to go, you're going to come away from there feeling you've had a good game and you've you've had a, a hard fought victory, or if or if you get a draw, you're going to look back at it and think maybe not such a bad result. That's a decent team. Um, you know, hypothetically, I would, I would, I, I would, I'd gladly stick a tenner on on Yokohama to win the cup if they were in the Scottish setup. I think they'd be a good cup team. Um, I was said on the podcast last night. I was like, I've basically swapped my the league. If that was to happen, they'd be looking at anywhere from say third, fourth, through to probably eighth. They'd be around that middle range. You'd have a bunch of teams finishing. So it's not like he's going from some ditty league to Scotland. No. No. Like I said, that spread of seven or eight teams that can realistically challenge for the title every year, I think they would probably slot in comfortably third to tenth in in the in the SPL. Comfortably. What's your thoughts on all this last discussion, John? So um the only J League game that I have ever watched because um I just background info. I managed to just buy up to sport recently. I was like, Oh, there's a live game on. I'm going to fucking stick that on. Happened to be Yokohama and they, <laughs> and it happened to be Ange. Do you know what I mean? So like I, what I watched was a much, much better standard than um, the impression I had. Um, I absolutely agree that. Yeah. They could easily go anywhere between third and fifth. I would think in the Scottish league. Um, I was also from from what I've been reading and what you guys have been saying and stuff. It's clearly not a, a J League thing. It's clearly a Postacoglu thing, with um, really direct passing from the back four through to the centre forwards, the wingers or the the forward, whoever it is. Right, really good um, direct passing. So I was really impressed. Now um, and actually, the the game I ha- happened to watch seemed to be one that Celtic is involved a lot in, which was the other team was shite and parked the bus for 90 minutes and Yokohama was having to consistently attack. And Ange was fucking fuming that uh, we that Yokohama weren't scoring. So that's what I really wanted to see. I like now thinking about it um and on reflection of that game, like I want the manager to be fuming that 
they've parked the bus and we can't score. I mean, Yokohama ended up winning that game, but that was probably because we had they they had him screaming at the side of the um, at the sideline. So yeah, um, J League's not shite. Um, I've watched A League games. A League's not shite. Um, is it comparable to Scottish football? In many ways, yes. In many ways, no. But you know, I, for anyone who hasn't watched those leagues enough, don't don't make an opinion yet because you don't you haven't got all of the information. Just hold off and see how it goes. And you know, we this might be a rebuild for a year or two. I think we all kind of expected that. So it's not it's not any shock to me. Yeah, like what I said last night as well was, I think it's more a fear of the unknown for a lot of fans more than anything it's they don't understand they don't know the j league they don't know the a league they don't know Ange. and with rangers winning a title everyone's a bit skittish and they're like it's a fear of the unknown like do, what do i want to do now i've got a little stat for you in the top 12 leagues in europe how many non-european or south american or originating coaches are there Going into last season, just one, just completed. And can you name? Oh Christ! Couldn't name them. I'm going to say less than ten. Yeah, I'd say ten, ten to fifteen. I'll say slightly more. There's three. Oh. There's three, and we spoke, I mentioned one earlier, Jesse Marsh. Mm. There's a guy in Belgium who's from Africa. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, and the guy who was the third one, was in Belgium as well, was Kevin Musket, who played for Rangers back in the day, was the guy who took over from Ange Postacoglu and was his assistant manager at Melbourne Victory back in the day. When, so when Ange went into the Socceroos and took over, Muskie stepped up and run, run the team and won a couple of comps here. And then mm. he was in Belgium and he didn't see out the season. So that's it. There was three. Mm. So there's currently only two because Marsh is just changed with clubs. The other guy in Belgium's still there. So if Ange comes in, that's what I mean by is a massive barrier. And that's why there's so much excitement about it over here in Australia because that's the one barrier left for Australian football in the whole world game globally that we need to do. And that is we've had players playing in Europe for years. We've had people in Asia. We've got coaches. Ange is doing well in Asia. There's other coaches there. The one final frontier for us is to get a manager in a senior top level in Europe. And if Ange comes over, he is the guy. It's either him, there was Kevin Musket and Tony Popovich. They're the three guys who have coached in Europe this, since 2000. I want to see someone break, break that glass ceiling. Go for it, Selwick. Who knows? Yeah. That's, that said, though, and I will stick to it, I still want my original get thing of David Webb, director of football, David Wagner as manager. That's still what I want. But if Ange Postacoglu comes in, I'm not going to turn my nose up and say it's absolute rubbish. To me, that's still a good appointment. I think it's highly likely that Postacoglu's coming in, to be fair. I don't, th- I don't think we've uh, approached anybody else, which is, again, uh, problematic. But yeah, yeah, it's so into at the moment. So yeah, is, I, if he do, if he doesn't it, by this point, it's going to be really, really embarrassing. That's going to be ugly. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's just we don't need another knockback, you know. Is there, is there not issues at the moment with him getting a visa or something like that? Is that not the stumbling block? Well, there's different stories every day. Yeah, he, oh, he doesn't have the UEFA pro license. Yeah, he does. Yeah, when, well, he was, when he was the Australian manager, he was he did his study over at Clairefontaine in France and got his tickets he needs there. He already had the AMB oh. license. He's done that. So There you go. I was about to be fucking. I was about to go. Well, obviously he fucking doesn't because he's an Australian manager. <laughs> but there you go. So he's got his licenses he needs. Yeah. He's got the only issue is two things that could be it. He'll get the visa because he was born in Greece, and he's got a. Yeah. He'll have that passport through there. So it's not an issue if Barkas can get a visa. So can he? Okay, so that's straight up not a not a major issue. The last thing for me is if he leaves Japan to come in, does he get that sports exemption and he can come straight into the club or does he have to quarantine for 10 days? Because oh, there's only our first Champions League qualifier and the team back for preseason in 14 days. So if they appoint him today and he has to quarantine for 14 days, he's got to fly over there, quarantine, then he'll have two or three days before preseason starts. That's yeah, what's yeah. going to happen, isn't it? He'll have to quarantine because Japan's an absolute shit show for COVID right now. Yeah, yeah. Or he'll, or they'll make him test before he gets on the flight, uh, and then test when he gets off or, or whatever, and then, you know, um, hopefully like negative results and shit. That's the well, best. Isn't, isn't there a thing where like you, like you quarantine for ten days, but then if you can produce a negative test after like three or four days, they let you out. Isn't there yeah, something? That's the one. Something like that. So it's he's negative before he gets on the plane. Then he mm-hmm. comes in and he isolates for three days and does another negative. They tend to let him out. Yeah. Right. That's what Aye. that's what the UK has started to do. I don't know if that's elsewhere, but yeah. Fuck, just get him in. I'm just I'm sick of it. I'm I'm just sick to the back teeth of all of this shit. I want a director of football in now. I want a manager in now. And I want to start the rebuild. Because the longer we leave it, We've already left it too long, to be honest. Um, so if anyone's got any fucking aspirations that we're going to go next season and, and get another treble or anything close to that, then you're fucking delusional. Uh, it's gonna it's a dogfight next year. It is all out. Uh, who knows what the fuck's going to happen? Okay, so talking about the rebuild then, John, that ties in perfect to our next one. Celtic has always been a club with a good Scottish core, right? And... If Ange comes in, he likes young players. He likes to develop, bring them in and develop them in his model of how he wants his teams to play. So you'd think he'd ask, who do you have on your front doorstep? Who is there in the Scottish Premier League that would be worth looking at? So I've got a few names here. I'll just get you guys, when I say the name, you say a yes or no and discuss if you think they, they should be getting looked at by Celtic or not. Okay. So, the first one I'm going to link here is Ali McCann from St. Johnston. Nah. No. No. Okay, then we'll go to Hibbs. They've got three players there. So, Josh Doig? Yes. Yes, possibly. Ryan Porteous? Yes, yes, definitely. And Kevin Nisbet? Yes. Maybe. Maybe. Okay, I agree with you, Liam. I'd be going... Doig and Porteous, yes. Nisbet, mm-hmm. depends what we do. Mm. The only thing I'd do with Nisbet, would would Hibs be interested in a bit of a swap deal? Give us Nisbet 
take some money off some of the others, and we'll give you some cash and Griff for those three. That's something that like that. well for everybody. Aye, oh, yeah, all I, I, But that's common sense. We don't I'm do not, that. I talk too much sense. <laughs> okay, next one. Lewis Ferguson. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm saying yes, even though I know he's a fucking little shit. I think that's what we need right now. So I'm saying yes. Yep. Yes. I, th- he, I think he's a Postacoglu type player in that he always likes to have that one grabby fucker in the middle of his midfield screening his defenders and Ferguson could do that, especially with Bruni moving on. We need we need a bit of mongrel in there. So, yeah, I think he could do the job. There's however, a caveat there. I was yeah, gonna sorry. Say, however, he'll cost a lot. And if you yeah, go to my option for that role, Alan Campbell at Motherwell is available on a free and he could play the same role. So what would you boys do? I, I mean, there's an argument to be said that we don't even need a, a Ferguson type because we've already got Sorrow, right, who is a modern version of that. Um, and what, is he going to drop McGregor or is this to replace McGregor? Is McGregor moving on? I, I'm not really sure where Ferguson fits in to the current squad we have because I think we're all pretty, uh, we're all on the same page, right? I think Sorrow's got some growth to do, but he's definitely a rough diamond. And with the right sort of coaching, I think he could be fucking excellent. So I don't, I don't really know if Ferguson fits in, but he's more likely to go to them, isn't he? He's, 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 he's going to go to the other side of Glasgow, I think. So what I'm looking at right now at the moment is the issue. You said we've got Sorrow there, which is great, but I think we're undersized in the midfield. Now, Lewis Ferguson's 5'11", Alan Campbell, 5'10". I'd really love to get someone 6'1", 6'2", as a defensive midfielder in that role. Give us a bit of size. Is that the young kid Shaw coming in? Possibly. So we may already have that. But I don't. I, the only issue for me is Alan Campbell's free. He knows how to play with Turnbull. I'd bring him in. Lewis Ferguson gives us more of that size because in Europe – what I'm about to say is going to look stupid because in Europe, look at how good Kante is and he's, he's tiny. But I have my issues if our whole midfield is all under six foot. We need some size there. I mean, I, I, think that's a, I don't think that's an um, unsensible comment because I think we've struggled with size uh, from set pieces. I think that might be uh, why we're getting let down so much because you see other fucking teams and, you know, I would say somewhere between 30 to 40% of set pieces are goals for other teams. That's not, I don't think that's a stat for Selig. I would say it's probably under 20. So yeah, maybe, maybe height is an issue. Um, so yeah, uh, whether we go out looking for like, that's just the factor. That's just the, you know, the variable tall players in a good league. I don't know if that's the, the best due diligence, but um, yeah, if you've got a fucking, uh, options between player A, B, and C, and they're all equal, and they're all equally priced and stuff. Yeah, go with the tall one. I, I, I think that makes sense. I would say we need power, maybe not necessarily height. We need power. Um, no strength. You know, aye. Br- Bruni, fil- Br- Bruni yeah. filled that role, but you know, for last season it was pretty obvious he was done, and we didn't really have anybody, any other sort of a powerhouse midfielder to step in because McGregor isn't that type of player 
Christie definitely isn't that type of player. Um, Sorrow could be that type of player, but again, uh, I'm not quite sure if he's as imposing as he needs to be. You I'm know, I'm, th- I'm thinking along the lines of somebody like Victor Wanyama. I mean, obviously yeah, not one. him. But, uh, it was the last one we had, Liam. Yeah, it was Victor Wanyama, yeah. definitely. Aye. Aye. So, you know anything else, John? Yeah, bring some mad Japanese people. I want, I want some fucking quick wingers. The next knacker. <laughs> mm. Well, the other thing we'll need to bring in as well is centre backs. So, who's out there? Is anyone locally that you guys think off the top of your mind that could do a job for us at centre back other than Porteous? <sighs> nah. I, I, we need, we just need defenders in. I think give give Hendry another shot. I think that's, I think that's the best we could do there. I is f- moving on for sure, isn't he? So we really need to replace Ayer and then replace Samonovic, and then, um, and then we've got a good cover there. I would say. I wouldn't be against Hendry, and I'd like to see Leo Helger come back in too. He was up at Ross County playing as a centre back. Is he the Norwegian boy? The Norwegian boy, yeah. yeah, he's a good. He's a he's the sort where he likes to get the ball and not just draw someone and pass around. He likes to actually beat a man and push the ball forward. So, yeah, I'd like to see him get a bit of a chance, but we still need to recruit another one or two, especially yeah. if Maguire moves on. And spend money. We need a we need a a comp ball player to Julian. I'm going to make a, a, a completely wild one here, right? And laugh, laugh me out of town if you like, but I've heard rumours that uh, David Luiz is leaving Arsenal. <laughs> bit of experience oh. at the back, bit of star quality. Get him signed up. <laughs> yeah, fucking obviously. No, but but that's that's the sort of thing that would instantly get people on board. Yeah, it would. I mean, if it happens, that'd be fantastic. But I, uh, I don't see it happening. I tell you who I did like, right? And this is, um, this is tying it in. I don't know if you know um, him well, Liam, but or well, not as a person, I mean, as a player. Yeah. Um, see Martinez for Yokohama. I really liked the look of him. He was a very, very good defender for them, and what he did, and he threatened to score a few goals from set pieces. Um, really, really strong in the air. Um, and and was one of the players I was talking about before, who was very good at uh, direct passing from the back four through to the to the attacker. Um, so uh, something like that, you know what I mean? Works with Ansh at the moment. You tend to find with the J League teams that the foreign players. I think Martinez. I, I think he might be Brazilian. I'll need to double check that. But um, I think. The, you find that the the foreign players tend to be amongst the best the best players in the team because each J League team is only allowed five foreigners in their squad. Right. So they don't sign guys unless they are top notch. So who? So what sort of price bracket would um, the be, one of the best players in the J League or one of the best players for Yoko cost to buy? Are we talking within the five to seven range? We're talking less than that. We're talking probably three or four million. Yeah, we're going to yeah. Go, go get, go get him. He was good. 
Real Madrid got Kubo for what was it, three point five million? Three point five Yeah. Yeah, and I think that was a Japanese record at the time. So there you go. He was at Tokyo, yep. wasn't he? Aye, FC Tokyo. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think in the um, Asian Champions League down here against Victory a few years back, and yeah. What was that like the year? Yeah. I think Martinez is like 25, I think he is. So he's, you know, type of player that we could definitely be going to get if that's the sort of prices. Get him in and then also send our scouts down to the Balkans to find some hard bastard centre-backs too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 100%. All right. I just want to say one last thing on this topic because you brought him up. Liam, mm-hmm. David Luiz is going to come in. Yeah. I'd rather we bring back Dedrick Boyata. Because he's probably less a bo- less of a bomb scare. Ooh, there's an interesting one. And didn't he stay obligated? I think David Luiz would do okay in the Scottish League. I think he would be absolutely fine. The guy needs a walking frame. How old is he? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> old. Anyway. He's got to be up there, 29 or something. Oh, yeah, heaps. All right, so the next part of the rebuild, we've got the um, is how do we improve our youth development process? We'll keep this bit nice and nice and short and sweet. We've got a Colts team in the Lowlands League currently for one season only. Do you guys think this is a good long-term idea to keep a Colts team playing in the Lowland League? Or would you rather Celtic try to create long-term strategic partnerships with other clubs in Scotland that fit in with the way we play how we want to play and how they'll develop them and then loan these clubs, partner clubs, multiple players each season. What would you guys rather? On a, on a basis of a, of a would you rather, I would rather the cult system for sure. But there's some caveats to that. I would rather a cult system where it was written into Scottish football bylaws or whatever, the equivalent of where a Colts team of any, of any team couldn't progress to act to a certain point. And that way, uh, what we wouldn't have in Scottish football is the richest clubs dominating every single league, right? So I don't want to see that because I don't think that's fair, even though I'm a Celtic fan, right? Um, I think what I would really like, to see, I think cult system works better for us. I think it's, it, it, the, the loan system is only good for those that actually get loaned, right? Everybody else who doesn't get a loan is sitting on the fucking thumbs for a season or they're playing in shitty reserve leagues, which nobody really cares about. So Colts is clearly better because, you know, the young young team gets to fucking um, play more games. I actually, if I had an absolute ideal world, I think uh, a mixture of the two would be brilliant. So, um, Damn, you know, you're stealing my thoughts here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so playing Colts for the really young ones who play regularly and then maybe uh, a loan system partnerships for players who can't quite break through to the first team um, but are also too good for a cult system. So, yeah. But again, better common sense. What do you reckon, Liam? Yeah, I, again, I'm thinking a kind of an amalgam here because what I would say is in, in the Scottish in the Scottish um, sense alone, uh, Colts team is the way to go. Um but what I would like to do, I'd like to see us forging partnerships with teams in other leagues where we can look to develop particular attributes for players. 
So, for example, let's just say we've got, okay, someone like Karamoko Dembele, for example, right? All the skill, all the pace, there's a question about his physicality. It would be nice if we had a relationship with, say, for example, a club in England, League One or League Two, that you could send him to, because the English League would toughen him right up. Right? Or let's say we had another player who had potential, but there was an issue with his fitness. Send him to the J-League for a couple of years, because they work you like a dog here. Right? You know, if we had a partnership with somebody like Yokohama, for example. Um, You know, if you've got a player who has all the talent, all the potential, but is a bit of a Lee Griffiths, a bit prone to go out and getting pished and eating too many kebabs or whatever, find a German team that we can send him to to teach him a bit of discipline. Send him where all the good beer is. Come on. (laughs) Oh, well, actually, I knew that you mentioned that Germany's maybe a bad example. Send him to Dubai or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Saudi Arabia <laughs> uh, no more beer no chance of your hole go to Saudi Arabia <laughs> uh, anyway <laughs> but, you, but you see what I mean just this idea of we need to have a network of clubs around the world who can develop particular areas where we think our players might be lacking yeah so for me it was I think the Colts will be the 16 through to 19-year-olds. And once the players at that level, at Colts level, are too good for that level, if it's in the lowland leagues, then you want to have clubs, whether it's Clyde or whoever, you can send a few guys to there or you can send the guys who, once they're too good and they're like still under the age of 20, 21, they're the ones you want to loan out. By the time they hit 20 or 21, if they're not on our bench consistently or getting a run in our first team, are they really going to make that step? That's the question. It's kind of doubtful, but it's not too late for them if there's a proper pathway because there's always those late bloomers. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's a combination will work, not one or the other like we're seeing people talking about online. But for me, I think the Colts is a good idea on its own. And, yeah, as you said, John Keaton to a certain level – in Germany, the Colts, the highest they can play is at the, it's the third tier. Yeah. They can't come up any mm. higher than that. In Spain, it's the level below the where the current first team is. So I think I like the German model better. So if we were, we're in the SPFL in the Premier League, then League One would be the top that these Colts teams could come up to. Yes, I think that's fairer, to be honest. The, the Scottish Championship's too good. I, would, I, I wouldn't feel that was fair just to financially blow them out of the water, sort of, so to speak, um, just because we want. Yeah, it's not just that either, though. It's also, if they go under the championship, why should we take a spot with our Colts for other clubs who are trying to come up the leagues to get into the Premier League because of the money and a growth? Yeah, yeah. Why should, we, why should we be blocking people and clubs from progressing into that league to then get into the league we're in? Like... It's a bit of give and take within the pyramid there. It's 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 the you know, Celtic functions within the Scottish system. So for Celtic to um, to degrade a part of the Scottish Scottish system doesn't benefit Celtic. So it so it's it's would be extremely short sighted to insist that the Colts uh, the highest they could get to is the is the league below, which might damage the overall structure because in the long term that will just 
damage Celtic because then we're not producing as enough, you know, Scottish talent and stuff. And that comes from that. That doesn't always come from just Celtic and Rangers. That comes from many other teams, including championship teams, including League One teams. So, yeah. All right. So what we'll do there is anyone listening, when it comes to what players in the Scottish League you think Celtic should look at and how we should do the recruitment, I'd love to hear from you guys on our Twitter. So send us a message or comment on there at Celtic Down and let us know your thoughts on those topics because I'd like to get the feel of the, of the support and what everyone else is thinking. So send us a message, tweet at us, let us know, and, yeah, we'll discuss it further down the track. Um, other than that, we'll just wrap the podcast up here because Liam's got to get to his Japanese lesson. So he's yep. got to go, go and get educated. So give our Facebook page and group a like. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Celtic Down. Check out our website, CelticDownUnder.com. And other than that, hail, hail, guys. Hail, hail. hail.